This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. Alignment drives predictable growth year over year, and in this episode, Kyle Lacey, CMO at Jellyfish, shares a framework he relies on to drive alignment across go-to-market teams as you're growing your company. You'll learn why you need a weekly pipeline meeting, who should be invited and what you should cover, how to set up shared revenue goals across sales and marketing, how an enablement team can improve your onboarding and drive a major impact across your org, and why your leaders need to define stages of the funnel and metrics that you'll measure together. This is, in my opinion, a must-listen for any go-to-market leader. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. All right, Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. I have heard your voice many times, most recently on the Exit 5 podcast. I think you've you've been on there maybe a couple times, but you were on like a oh, yeah. chat with Dave. Yeah, um, we're, the ball, ball, ball men have to stick together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right, Dave. That's the reason why Dave has you on. He just needs some support. That's um, it. Actually. I see you on That's my all. Twitter feed too because of the uh, fighting the dad bod challenges as well. And now I'm more. I'm, you're definitely building brand awareness for Orange Theory for me. So. Um, oh, I. I mean, shout out to Orange Theory. I was there this morning. I'm there tomorrow morning. I'm there like five times a week. I love it. There you go, Orange Theory. If you're listening, your next, your next potential you're CMO. Next. <laughs> um, Awesome. Yeah. Really, like I said, you and my DM really respectful. I love the way you approach leadership. A lot of the stuff that has hit me specifically, you know, a lot of people share great insights, your stuff about being a humble leader and part of the job being to like lift up other people. I love the way that you think about this. So was excited to have you on. Um, glad to have you on today. And for listeners, we're going to be talking about a model for predictable growth that Kyle developed in 2016 in Lessonly that he calls creme de la creme, but the first creme is C-R-E-M. Uh, so like a good marketer, you, you came up with a catchy name for it. And a good yeah, acronym. it's not that great. It's not that great though, unfortunately. So it's it's kind of uh, any marketers out there listening, please let me know if there's a better way to say this, but this, this, this is the best I've come up with. Yeah, finder's fee if you like frame this in a in a cooler. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll buy, I'll buy you something. Be frank okay, enough. Sweet. Just send me, send me a note on LinkedIn. Sweet, perfect. Um, okay, so break. Let's start with just a summary of this. Uh, so CREM is C R E M. What does it stand for? And give us like the elevator pitch for the model, and then we'll kind of dive into some specifics. Yeah, I mean, CREM stands for Communication, Revenue, Enablement, and Metrics. And, uh, you know, I think that any company that's going through a scale up or growing or just trying to figure out how to build something efficient, um, you have to think about alignment. And so a lot of what I talk about is how do you align go-to-market teams appropriately as you're building the company, whether you're a scale-up or you know the, the opposite side, you're trying to do it efficiently or you're, or you're doing both at the same time. So it's mainly how do you take CS, sales, rev ops, marketing, the tip of the spear, basically, and align them in, a, in an appropriate way. Love it. Yeah. And you said in the inbound form, which I like this little like tagline you wrote, uh, alignment drives uh, predictable growth year over year. And this is a framework to drive alignment. So yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Cool, cool way to frame that. So, okay, let's start with uh, the first part, communication. When can you unpack, like obviously a, a broad topic, but on, so then on the team among CS, among sales, among marketing, does this entail how often you're meeting with those teams, with, with your counterparts in sales? Um, 
like what you're covering in detail? Like, what does this look like for you? Like, what what does meeting entail? How frequently are you meeting? And what are you covering when you do meet to make sure that you're on the same page? Well, I think I, we can get to how often and the kind of meetings you should put in place. I think the first part is, is learning how to be empathetic towards your peer. You know, if you're a demand gen uh, manager, are you empathetic to the AE, to the CSM? If you're a CMO, are you being empathetic and fully understand the needs of the CRO or the CEO or whoever your peer is, the, the CSO, COO? Um, I, I think that egos drive a lot of what we do and leaders just tend to be more ego driven. Uh, you know, managers, I guess anybody can be a leader, but a manager, some of them tend to be more ego driven. And you come to the table thinking, I have I have a point I want to get across and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because I know the best way and I'm going to do it the way I want. That ruins communication and it ruins alignment, especially when you're moving 100 miles an hour. So empathetic communication, you know, you call it nonviolent communication as well, which is probably the term that most people understand or know of, you know, how do you make sure that you are fully capable of hearing out your peers so you understand where they're coming from and the needs that they have? So the first part is just understanding how to communicate in an empathetic way so that you're both on the same page. Second part is meetings. And I, I'm sure that there's people listening that, that's like, I hate meetings. You don't need meetings. Do it asynchronously. That's fine. Do whatever the hell you want. It's about sharing data back and forth, whether you're doing it in a Zoom call or you're doing it on Slack or you're doing it over a phone call does not matter to me. What I have found work is a form of weekly and biweekly meetings and then weekly communication. And so the two that work the best are what you can call either pipeline review or a pipeline council. So it's a cross-functional meeting with everyone, all managers that are focused on creating revenue. So whether okay. that's cross-sell, upsell, you know, renewal, uh, or net new business, even services, right? At Lessonly, we had our services leader attend this meeting as well. You meet, you meet weekly, and you are looking at current number and the for, and the model. And you're doing that on a weekly basis. What's worked is that a, the BDR manager, the AE leader, the marketing demand gen leader, they all have called shots every week. What's your called shot for X metric, right? Doesn't matter what the metric is as long as you all agree, right? Every business is different. I'm not going to tell you what the metric should be on this call. Sure. Uh, but so first one is getting cross-functional people in the room that own revenue no matter what that revenue is, that meeting's usually run by either sales ops or rev ops, if you have it. That's what I have found to be most successful. The sales leaders le leading it, marketing leader, CS leader, it usually tends to be one site. Okay. So having, having like Sweden in the room, which is rev ops, in my opinion, Sweden's the one that doesn't have the military, right? <laughs> yeah, Those yeah. are the Swiss, right? The Swiss, uh -huh. right? Yeah, oh, shoot. I was going to say Sweden and now. now oh, no, maybe. OK, so oh, no, it is Switzerland. It is Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, Rex. So RevOps in Switzerland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're the peaceful bunch. Um, they're usually the ones running point on a lot of this stuff because they they're trying. They're they're the ones that are central to alignment. And then weekly communication. I think a revenue email is a great form of communication to a company. 
we did it at Lessonly and we were doing it at Seismic for a short period of time, which at Lessonly we called it the, rev the weather report. And we'd send it out every week and it would have the weather, which is like it's cloudy or sunny or stormy, depending on how the week went with renewals, with pipeline production and with rev close one revenue. Um, and that was really helpful because it aligned the entire company. So communicating, and the most important part is just communicating as constantly as you possibly can. I think a lot of times people throw out, hey, I can send one email a month about what we're doing and that's okay. It's not okay because people don't read it. No matter yeah, what you're sending. It's really easy to stay like, okay, we've got company goals. They break down to team and then the teams are meeting that frequently, but it's really easy. I feel like to stay siloed. Oh. And then even if you do all know like own revenue, like, yeah, okay. We're all impacting revenue across the board, but we all have our own ways of going to get it. And then we're just going to share what we did. But, um, you just hear that, like, just it's through these means you're like, Oh wait, you guys are working on that. I would, I never knew that. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah. I can speak into that or I have some ideas for that or so-and-so surface that. So yeah, totally can understand why this is like at the, at the forefront of this. Well, and if you're an exec, so I've got, there's one more point on communication we can move on, but if you're an exec or you're a, lead, a manager, make sure you're spending time meeting with your peer group. Your peer group is your first team. The executive team for me at Jellyfish is my first team. I need to be very, very, very active with making sure that I'm meeting with people on that exec team so everyone's aligned, right? And we do that pretty well in our exec meetings every week, but you have to be pretty conscious of the fact that, especially with remote cultures, it's it has a tendency of getting siloed more than in the office. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just how yeah, I feel for sure. ultimately. And then the last thing is a service is draft a service level agreement. I call it a revenue handbook. You could call it a revenue bible, whatever. It's it's drafted between the people who are in the pipeline council that says, here's our service level agreement on everything having to do with go-to-market, handoffs between sales and CS, territory model, um, SLAs with inbound reps on when they work, demo requests. There's a ton of product-led stuff that could be thrown in there if you're a product-led growth company, if you have a free trial motion. Um, HubSpot has a great template out there. I'm more than happy to um, share a template that I have, but it's, and then you sign it like a contract. Mm, Get it, you, okay. know, you don't have to do that, but I, I've always found it to be fun. Okay. Sign in, sign in blood. The service yeah. <laughs> yeah. If your company is really hardcore. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. I do not advocate for that. Just to be clear. Do not sign I, in blood. <laughs> um, I was going to ask too, you, you mentioned this uh, just now, how, how would this be different? Like, is it different at all? Or just adjust to your, to your things for product led growth, like data box, we have sales led and a product led motion, but if your product led growth, do you think any of this tweaks that much? No, I, I think that it's the same concept is that you have a series of metrics that are very important to what you do. Everybody needs to be aligned on what those metrics are. Mm -hmm. And however you look at that, if it's a weekly, daily, um, make sure that product is on the same page as growth, is on the same page as sales, is on the same page of engineering. Like it all, it should all be, and it's and it's ultimately the leadership team's responsibility to, to run that. But um, I encourage anyone, no matter what your level, to be conscious of the fact that you should be spending some percentage of your time meeting your peer groups within the company, no yeah. matter what, because you always learn something. Yeah, it's amazing how much like it strikes me that this is 
something that's really easy to skip because it feels like half of it, like I think a lot of companies would write it off as, okay, yeah, we don't need more meetings and all these things, but it feels like the devil's in the details and just yeah. the act of gathering. Like there's not even like, if you, you could probably pick a couple of things that you cover every time, but just the act of gathering. And I think you, I was looking up a, like I said, a blog interview you did or like a journalistic written interview you did on this topic. And you were getting it like just, building relationships with other people probably goes a long way in making sure that you're unified. Like you can technically share the same goal, but it yeah. doesn't mean that you're going to feel like you're driving toward the same thing together. Right. And I think it's Udi from Gong that said, you should know your sales leader's coffee order. I mean, you're, you know, you want to, you want to enjoy. Yeah. I wish I would have said it. I keep, I keep quoting him every, every podcast <laughs> I've had, because it's such a great, it's such a great quote, but it's, you want to you want to be able to have relationships with these people because you're all growing towards the same thing and we're we do not have easy jobs this is not an easy we didn't pick easy careers when it comes to software just yeah. not it's yeah. fun but it's not easy and then yeah. one shared goal le leads into the second stage of this which is you got communication and then you have revenue and it's pretty simple it's that alignment is about shared goals I am a huge proponent of marketing and sales owning a shared goal with pipeline creation and revenue, closed one bookings, depending on how you look at it, depending on your company. But you could you could come up with any that has to do with sharing a goal across multiple teams. For me, it's revenue. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like, the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like what's happening in the funnel? It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth, and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. I, I firmly believe marketing will never have a seat at the table unless they own a pipeline or revenue number. Um, yeah. And that just helps when it comes to alignment in general. Now, when you say this, do you mean, I was going to ask you on this, um, is this alignment on revenue generally like marketing owns a pipeline number, sales owns closed one and together you hope that, that makes up the thing or are they both owning that year's revenue number like hey it can come as any percentage of, from each team it depends on a lot of inputs depends on your sales okay. cycle depends on the go-to-market depends on um like at lessonly we had we were high velocity sales models so half of our deals closed in quarter and inbound drove a pretty large percentage of those deals and so it was easy for inbound to own a closed one revenue number. 
we actually didn't look at pipeline at Lessling because it was such a high velocity sale. Uh, and then at Seismic, it was one number, right? We had sourcing information, but it's an enterprise sales motion, much larger numbers. And at Jellyfish, we're kind of playing around with the same thing. It's like, hey, marketing should, I hate the term influence, hate it, hate it. Marketing should influence 100% of pipeline or revenue. You're not doing marketing right if you're not right. doing that. That's why I don't, I'm not a huge fan of measuring influence pipe, influence revenue. But as you move up market, you know, marketing having a motion to own a pipeline number and to work with sales, I think I think the bigger the deals and the longer the sales cycle, the more the one shared number makes sense for what okay. it's worth. Okay. Because um, it's just you- too hard. It's too, I mean, there's too many touch points. The sales cycles are too long. Like, yeah. you might as well work together to own one number. Yeah, and it feels like this takes away a lot of the gray line of like, uh, you know, I, I know I heard you in another interview talk about... Um, about that exact thing, not liking the influence pipeline. And there's this thing of like, um, yeah, it, it just aligns everyone on the same number where like, yeah, of course you're doing things that are like, we're making sure our messaging is aligning up top with like what they're hearing on the sales call with then like the promise that the product is delivering and all of that. But ultimately it's revenue that y- you said, I was going to ask you about this. Um, I think in two interviews, I heard you say you measured 70, I might be getting this wrong. So correct me if I am 75% as of your budget was direct revenue generation, 25% allotted it brand and headcount included in that. And you left the brand stuff generally unmeasured and the 75% stuff like had to tie to revenue. Is that still how you think about it? I, so I struggle with the unmeasured brand side. I know that um, Peter's going to listen to this and probably just break me across the coals, but I, (laughs) I, (laughs) Calling you up here. Uh, I I think that um, at at Lessonly it worked for us because we we were allowed to be highly creative, and a rising tide lifts all ships. And when you're hitting a revenue number and you're growing, and you're not missing, people don't care about the brand spend. It's when you start missing your revenue number that people right. are like, "What are you What are you doing? Spending money on a board game?" Right. Like, what are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. So that's why I always talk about revenue first, because if you are growing with the sales team and the CS team, depending on product SKUs and upsell, cross sell as, as a percentage of your total bookings number for the year, you will be able to use a certain amount of your percent of percentage of your budget to be a little bit illogical and make creative judgments like a board game, a golden llama, a Lego set, whatever. Yeah. And and it gives you it gives the creative parts of the marketing team the ability to be creative instead of just always trying to figure out how to be demand generated. But if you're missing the revenue number constantly, then you don't have a right to make all these creative plays. You, know, you want to try to do it together, but it's harder. So yeah. that being said, to answer your question directly, I am I'm still under the the this idea that there's a 75, 80% rule on generating the revenue and then the rest should be used for highly creative cool ideas but it's a very different world now than it was five years ago and i think that if you spend time trying to understand how to measure the brand you can it just takes more takes more um takes more time yeah when you started talking about this stuff 
2018 or whatever, like it definitely wasn't as much of a thing. Like now it feels like if you don't say that marketing should earn revenue, you're like a bad marketer or like you're old school, <laughs> but it probably wasn't that way, you know, that long ago. So, well, it wasn't, I mean, well, if you think about, I mean, think about the landscape and how it's changed since 2015, when I joined OpenView, like visible was kind of out there on an attribution modeling perspective and attribution modeling was just beginning beginning to be discussed from the marketing side and we just didn't have the data and now you have all the data and i found yeah. that some marketers are using all the data inappropriately yeah like 100 it's i mean pick top three or four things you need to measure and measure against them and yep. it helps with focus yeah yeah we've had a number of guests say the same um, that it's actually becoming like inundation and data being taken out of context and leading to bad decisions. So dark social and, and attribution modeling, and you can, you can slice data 500 different ways and you're still going to end up with the same damn answer, which is you need to generate revenue. Yep. Yep. Right. Um, okay. Awesome. So that's communication. That's revenue. Revenue. Next would be enablement. Enablement. Um, this one, I, you know, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on you. You said elsewhere uh, that the enablement uh, team is basically the hub supporting the go-to-market spokes. Um, so yeah. yeah, can you break down how you think about this? I so I'm going to differentiate one thing. I am not. I'm not talking about product enablement, even okay. though or customer enablement, that which might plan this a little bit. For me, it's strictly sales and coaching as it relates to enabling the go-to-market team. So it's like a, it's a shared, it's a shared role between product marketing and sales enablement, which mm -hmm. is kind of the terms today. Um, and I, it's near and dear to my heart because that's what, that's why Lessly existed as a company before we were bought by Seismic. So enablement is the team tasked to take the, all the data, all the, all the content coming out of product marketing all of the coaching calls, all of the gong information coming out of sales and rev ops and create an enablement platform that allows, allows reps, product marketing, onboarding of new, new um, team members into the go-to-market function, allows it to just hum. And I have witnessed now three times over the power that enablement has when it comes to driving towards a shared initiative. Uh, and, you know, if you're a headcount capacity model on the sales side, great enablement cuts your onboarding time down pretty significantly for your account executives. So, again, I think it's a little bit different depending on the business model, but I, I'm highly, highly supportive of any company with over 20 people on the go-to-market org. You should probably think about an enablement hire. Okay. That's just supporting supporting your team and learning competitive win loss you know all the stuff coming out of product marketing what happens if you create a new pricing and packaging what happens if um there's a new trend like ai what do we need to think about how should we communicate that what happens if the demo changes right just a ton of different things but it's very much dependent on the business model would you sort of is it fair to boil this down to the message like the message might yeah. be how we differentiate the competitors the message might be who we're for or the pains we solve for them it might be um like like is it fair customer to customer stories 
Yeah. yeah I okay. mean, I, I think, yeah, boiling down to the message is fair. I do think that there is a practice element too that great enablement leaders have, which is how do you coach sales managers to coach account executives? Because it's it's interesting, and this is fairly new where you know, we we go to school and we practice things for years, sports, you know, instruments, you study for a test, and then you get in the workforce and not a lot of people practice, which is crazy to me. So enablement leader and enablement team can help with that element. So it's more, it's not just, hey, something changed, people need to learn about it. It's an ongoing, very proactive, continuous rapid improvement type model where everybody is learning together. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Is this an area where you feel like most companies, like of the of the four areas, is this the one most companies are prone to get wrong or not invest enough in? Yeah, because yeah. it's it's fairly new. I'd say that Seismic did a great job to create the category around sales enablement, but uh, you know, it's it's a fairly new org, but it helps with onboarding too. Like you can't scale companies without great onboarding. Right. And enablement's part of that. Well, yeah, it's easy to see how the customer can receive such a fractured experience without it. Like marketing right. is promising one thing and they're coming, you know, maybe they're receiving certain messaging off the website. Then they're coming to the website and they're trying to make a decision on if this is the right tool or product for them. Um, yeah. And that's giving them a different, that's a chance to get a different message. Then they talk to sales. That's a chance to get a different message. And then they're talking to CS about how to implement the thing that they just bought. And that's a sure. different message. So yeah, yeah. It, it makes a ton of sense why there would need to be someone to make sure, Hey, these are our talking points across all these areas or, Hey, like, you know, like you said, we've updated pricing and packaging or we've added a new use case that we found or a feature, our best customer. Or we yeah. just launched a new feature. Like how are you onboarding your entire company on how to talk about like, I don't, I mean, it's a hard thing to do, but I think everybody in the go-to-market org should be demo enabled. Like, yeah, I should be able to give a demo on the product that I am marketing or selling, right? Especially a sales rep, which is which is mind-blowing if you don't do that, but especially if you have a demo request as a call to action, but, or it's part of your sales cycle. Uh, the other, so if you think about it, it's product marketing and enablement. And usually those are the, in a go-to-market function right now. Those are probably the two misunderstood roles, most misunderstood roles, because it's just very hard to hire for. So if you're, if you're under-investing in product marketing and enablement, you're not going to be able to keep up with the changes that are happening in a market, especially a, a venture-backed market that's constantly yeah. changing. Do you think that those, like, it always makes sense to make them separate teams? Or is there a world where like a really robust product marketing team can be equipping sales too? Um, so at, at uh, Lessonly, product marketing lived in sales enablement, which okay. is not, uh, actually, I've never known it to exist anywhere else. Uh, enablement, I do think that product marketing can have that component for sure. At Jellyfish, enablement reports into marketing. Um, and that's mainly just because tip of the spear, we're a lessonly customer. I have the model to do it and we have a great sales enablement leader that understands how to do it. Um, but I, I like to call it revenue enablement. And, and I've also seen that seismic enablement lives in ops, business ops. Okay. And again, that's a central function that supports the entire go-to-market org, but seismic's 2000 employees, right? It's a very different size. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, right. and, they, and then you have metrics. And yeah. this is the one that I don't spend a ton of time on because everybody has different metrics. 
The only thing I call out is that the leadership team or the management team should all be involved on defining the funnel, each stage okay. of the funnel. Okay. Where things usually break is that marketing has a very strong opinion at top of funnel. Sales has their sales funnel, which they define themselves. And then it, the only people who know about is the sales team. And then you've got the handoff and the CS team has a journey that somebody goes through. And there's it's very rare that there is communication on what those stages are. So once you define those stages and you agree upon you, and then you can then you can define the metrics that support each stage. And I, uh, it's very hard to do, but I think that metrics should be reported on together. You know, mostly, you know, if you're in a sales and marketing type, uh, sales and marketing heavy company that's sales led, um, every every institution I've been in, sales and marketing has presented together when it comes to a board meeting, because pipeline and revenue are a shared goal between the two of them. When, when expansion becomes more important or cross-sell, upsell, if you have different product SKUs, then it changes. But, you know, I think I think that's the first step. And then when you get, get large enough to invest in RevOps, centralized reporting within a RevOps team. And that RevOps team should live in business ops or they should live in finance. Okay. Okay. And that's... So metrics, look, I, I just, I think a shared metrics is, is the main message here, which is everyone should agree on what we're reporting and, and then centralize that reporting and look at it weekly. And not a lot of companies have that type of cadence. Um, all quota bearing teams should have shared metrics. And just to clarify for listeners. So if like, if a marketer is listening and they're thinking about the traditional, like marketing funnel that they would take people through and then like, okay, we've handed off the sales. We're done now. You're advocating for like one comprehensive funnel that from the time they come in co into contact with your brand yeah. to the time they close and upgrade and retain or churn, everybody's looking at it together and you're agreeing like these are the KPIs or yeah. metrics that we're measuring success at. Yeah. And it's, and it's very, very difficult, very difficult. Like I, I it's, but to get there because you can, Sales, sales should be involved in what it means to have a qualified opportunity. Right. Marketing should be involved in what the handoff looks like between sales because marketing has a very unique view on the experience of something that's happening when somebody becomes a customer, right? CS should be involved in the persona work that's happening at the beginning of the funnel. And, you know, whether it's a funnel or a circle or whatever the hell people are talking about now, I don't care. It's a, it's a journey with stages. People walk through them. You know, I'm sure you've talked to somebody who's like, there is no funnel anymore. <sighs> I don't care. As long as people are having good experiences. Right. And that's the only thing that makes us relevant as a company or as a go-to-market team is the positive experiences prospects and customers have with the business. And that's yeah. our job. That's why we're yeah. hired. Yeah, so I, I agree. I was talking to someone on the show and we were saying like, this is the, like you can d differentiate it and break it down by stages, but the customer thinks of your brand, like they think of one company. This is yeah. like one comprehensive experience for them from beginning to end. So yeah. like, yeah, you may break it up or chop it up and measure it in different ways. But like to them, this is just them using Databox from the time they like hear about us on LinkedIn to the time they like upgrade or churn. This is their experience with Databox, right? And they don't yeah. like, it's on us to make that feel like a seamless experience to your point with comprehensive messaging, 
Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and with state and with agreed upon stages, then you have some type of motion or lever to pull for conversion rates across the, and mm -hmm. so sales is working with, and I've been in sales led my entire career. So I'm sure there's product led people that are like, well, this is not how it works, which is fine. I just haven't, I haven't experienced that type of model for sales led. Right. It's, you know, my, my head of revenue marketing has to understand the headcount capacity model from the VP of sales. Like we have to understand what a technical demo looks like and the conversion rate from technical demo to procurement. Right. right? And once that happens, then it's just a hell of a lot easier to pull a lever and understand what works. But you got to spend a lot of time to align. And where it breaks is when people just get too complicated. Like I know, I guarantee, I've had conversations where marketers have told me, Kyle, you're too simplistic. Like, it's not that simple. I'm like, well, you know, you're confusing as hell. And that's because your teams are siloed. Yeah. Because sales, yeah. you know, and actually, you know, when you try to talk about influencing 100% of revenue, here's the touch points. And there was 20 touch points on a deal. And here's the numbers. Here's the dollars that was applied to each touch point. It's like the sales team is like, I don't understand what the hell you're talking about. I just want to close my quota. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, I feel like it's, it's easy to see how all the points blend into each other and yeah, very clear on how it's all driving alignment and alignment is driving, uh, you know, year over year growth before we get into the, to a, a couple of quick bonus round questions. Yeah. I want to ask you just like one last question, I guess, to wrap up this portion would be what is the, what's like subjectively or qualitatively, like what's the difference listeners can expect if they go through this framework and try and implement it and they try and bring more unity to their teams following what you've laid out here. What's the difference of like before and after, like, you know, you're someone who you've experienced this, like you've probably been at roles where like, this is super siloed and then you've implemented this framework and rolled it out. What are some of the subjective experiences teammates have articulated or you have felt? I mean, the biggest one is you're going to be sitting in meetings when six months ago you were attacking each other and now it's constructive criticism. Hmm. I mean, that's the biggest thing because when you're siloed and people have different metrics to understand growth, you're just going to attack each other because once there's going to come a time when one side did not live up to their understanding when you're not aligned nobody has an understanding right it's just here's what i think is most important which is a very selfish motivation for an entire team right yeah so for me that's the biggest thing it's like you're gonna your your team meetings are going to come across well it doesn't mean they need to be like kumbaya every day because that's not the point like a great a great team will fight still but it's that you understand what you're fighting for it's not just you, I feel like you did this wrong because I don't understand what the hell you're doing. Right. Or I have a different opinion on what you should be focused on or what you should be doing. Yeah. Or why, why did sales get to hire all these AEs? Well, it's because you don't understand the headcount capacity model. Your leader didn't walk you through it. You might, right. you can disagree with, with the, with the quota size or the, the headcount capacity model, but if you don't understand the model itself, you have no right to criticize. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I love it. And vice right. versa, sales sales can't criticize what a marketing qualified lead is unless yeah. you understand it, unless you've had, but mar it's marketing's job to include sales into this discussion around what do you think is a qualified opportunity that we're going to hand you? Awesome. All right. 
This has been awesome. Let's wrap up with a couple lightning round questions here. So three short questions, uh, short answers, whatever comes to mind. Um, well, this will be, in, <laughs> I'm now self-conscious about asking this one after what you just said about <laughs> metrics, but three, uh, three desert island metrics. You're a marketing leader oh, and you God. can only track three. I mean, marketing pipeline leader. and revenue surely, right? After what you just said. Yeah, pipeline, pipeline, revenue, and probably, I know, jeez, uh, pipeline and revenue or um, payback period. I think payback okay. period is an interesting one or or net dollar retention. I mean, a, a company-wide metric, meaning did you actually produce the right business at the top of okay. Awesome. Uh, finish this sentence however you want. Data is... Me. Love it. Short and sweet. Short and no, sweet. Number one tip for B2B leaders trying to drive predictable performance. I mean, your framework covered it pretty well, but is there is there one other tip you'd give? Yeah, take take a breath. You're gonna experience, I mean, you experience valleys and peaks and you're going to be stressed out. You're going to be convinced that you're not doing a good job 80% of the time. And then the other 20% when you knock it out of the park is going to make it worth it. I just, I have learned pretty quickly that taking a breath, resetting expectations constantly has helped me. And, you know, for those of us that are in the software world, we're only selling software. Right. Like you know, not we're slinging cancer. software. We're not curing cancer. I mean, some some software, some software might I guess, be trying yeah. to do that, which is great. Maybe I need to find that. But I just relax. Do whatever you need to do to relax at some point in the day, whether that's exercising or meditation or reading or going for a walk, because um I have burned myself out and it's not fun. And you shouldn't do it. And um, you know, outside of everything we talked about today, that's what I try to do on a daily basis is just reset. Awesome. Kyle, this has been super fun. Thanks for coming on uh, and sharing Thank the you. framework. Uh, where can people, so where can people go find Jellyfish and where do you want people to go follow along with you? So Jellyfish is at jellyfish.co.co and uh, you can go find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. I, that's where I spend my most time. Or I'm sorry, X or LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I almost, we'll link I almost threw up in my mouth. But we'll yeah, we'll link to your X profile uh, and LinkedIn in the show notes. All right. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.